0: Hey, future Black and Latinx leaders, you are listening to the Keys to the Office podcast, where we interview amazing professionals who share their individual career paths to set you up for success. We're giving you the keys to the office, and all you need to do is show up ready to unlock the door. Let's jump into today's episode. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Keys family. We are in for a treat. Um, I think a special one for all of you who desire to go the route of entrepreneurship. Uh, we've got a serial entrepreneur here, Maventi uh, who has done so much. And when I talked to her, uh, I don't know, I guess about a week or two ago, um, I was fascinated. And the more we spoke, I was like, wow, you did that too. And you know, this person and you worked with this person. The story is so deep. Um, and I'm also excited about what she is working on now, which is so critical, um, especially as we talk about our needs in the mental health space. So um, without further ado, join me in welcoming Mabenti to the podcast today. Yes,
1: yes, it's such a it's such an honor. Um uh, when Tony, you know, told us about this opportunity, I had to jump on it.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: you know, I, I, I'm really excited to, and, I, and it, definitely talking through our conversation that we had, like, I was really excited to have a real conversation with you. I'm, I'm super pumped and super honored.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So tell us who you are. Tell us what you do. And I know that's broad, but let's start there. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
1: that's always like a complicated kind of conversation because what do I do? I do a lot of things, right? Yeah. Um, I think you said it best and I'm, I'm definitely a serial entrepreneur. So I like to say my, my, um, my Clark Kent job, so to speak is, you know, um, I do government consulting. Um, I work with uh, businesses who are trying to work with the government. I help them put up their communication and strategy to be able to attract government business. I've worked with universities to help them develop their brand strategies to be able to develop a government, uh, government sales pipeline. So really just the branding and marketing strategies is what, is what I spend a lot of my time doing. Um, I also um, manage and run a production company, a multimedia production company, sense Entertainment. We've just released two episodes from our very um, so far so good, amazing uh, food show called "Damn That's Good." So I'm an executive producer uh, as well. And then more recently, I'm a startup founder um, working with, through working on a company to you know improve um, access to mental health in a, in a Muslim community. So. A lot of different things, and I'm also a person that loves poetry. <laughs> yes. And I'm a geek. I'm a <laughs> geek too. So, occasionally, I, I I drop one comic book reference. You'll probably hear me drop a couple of comic book references <laughs> throughout this uh, conversation. I
0: love it. I love it. I I love the fact that you gave yourself permission to pursue these different routes, right. That aren't necessarily aligned. Right. But you, you didn't feel the need to sort of take one path or solely pursue one passion. Um, and I actually want to hear a little bit more about like, what drove you to that point to say, you know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it all now and I'm going to do it all well like there was no fear or was there fear and how did you overcome that uh no fear Mm
1: -hmm. um well I would say for the Zifa bit was definitely fear because it's outside of my um comfort zone like it's mental health I don't I have no experience um with mental health but um the other two I mean it was just more so like Okay, you have experience. I've had media experience since I was in, in high school. I started my very first media job was working as the editorial assistant for Voice of America, and I was translating, transcribing scripts from French to English, wow. um, while also learning how to edit <laughs> audio <laughs> as wow. well. So, um, and then you know I worked for Young DC, where I had the opportunity to be a, be on a teen radio show as a host, co-host, um, and then you know, interview some, some of my favorite r- artists of all time, um, as well. And so the media bit was always something I had been doing anyway. And the government bit, I have been, my, my entire professional career has been within the federal government, within the public sector. So, you know, pursuing the consulting as well as the media, comp- media company was just a kind of an extension and a an natural evolution of what I was already doing anyway.
0: hmm hmm So, I mean, we, we, we kind of took it back to what you were doing in high school. What, what did you want to be when you grew up? Kind of, is this the path you saw yourself taking?
1: You know, it's again, it's me making
0: a comic book reference.
1: <laughs> 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 I'll be My, early on, I was obsessed with Lois and Clark with Dean Kane and Terry Hatcher. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that Lois in particular was such a badass. She was so confident self-assured and she was really I mean granted you know Superman loved her so like she had the protection of like she could go to like you know corrupt uh gangsters and question them and have because she had she had backup let's yes. be honest but yes even with even with like even without that she had a certain fearlessness that I really really admired and really like I would say in some some way kind of sparked that desire to do something big Mm. and I would say that I would say just seeing that early on as a young kid you know about five six years old and then also I'd say living singles Khadija and well as well as Maxine Shaw like those two had such a phenomenal um, impact and imprint me on an imprint on me as a young girl to see like Khadija was a business owner a Mm. media company right and even though it's fictional, like again, these are all fictional things, but I think when you're young, and granted, I have my parents are both professionals, both college educated, both have law degrees and great that. And I, you know, so I saw like a lot of professional Black excellence through seeing them and seeing their friends and being around those type of people. But mm-hmm. there's something about seeing it in a fictional sense or seeing it in TV and an entertainment sense It's for some reason kind of hasn't because we spend so much of our time watching television, yeah, yeah. that you know we don't recognize just how much of an impact and influence these characters can have on us and, and for sure like I I say it all the time like that like Maxine in particular and Khadija like really like inspired me. Like I I, I want to be like them. I want to be a boss. It was because of those like, like I said, Lois Lane, Terry Hatch's Lois Lane, Maxine, um, as well as, you know, like I said, um Khadija, really, really influential in molding that and inspiring, I would say nurturing that desire to be ambitious Mm -hmm. and of course like my parents right as well
0: yeah yeah so you talked about your parents being college educated having law degrees talk to me a little bit about your educational journey post high school and what that looked like
1: well you know it's it's so funny because when I was um, my very first one of my very first government jobs was working when I was 1617, I was working with the Department of Justice. Mm-hmm. It was through student student employment program, right? And I never forget, um, I won't mention the agency, you know, sub-agency, <laughs> but I was working for a particular sub-agency, pretty well-known sub-agency within the uh, department of justice. And I remember the lawyer saying, um, are you going to are you going to college? And so in my um, my mentality, because I've got, you know, the way I was raised, it was not a question of whether I was going to college, it was what college I was going to. Mm. So that framework, right, that there was an assumption from her, like, oh, college is such an aspirational thing versus the way I was raised, of course, I'm going to college. Like, right. that's not even a thing. Right. The aspiration is going to the best college. That was the aspiration. That was the real goal.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so, um, you know, so... Uh, of course, I was going to go to college, right, um, it, it was, it was more of a pick of the litter, right, um, I wanted to, i be honest, I wanted to be in LA, I wanted to go to USC, but USC didn't give me any money, so, oh, uh, next, yes, so, um, <laughs> I ended up going to University of Maryland, and, 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 and you know, at the time, I was, like, so sad about it, I was, like, I really don't want to live near, near parents, really, but, right, I really would not want to stay home, but, uh, I mean, I lived on campus, but I didn't want to be close. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but it, it in many ways, I mean, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? It was super important in developing me as an entrepreneur, as a leader, as a manager. Um, I met my business partner there. I met a lot of my team who worked with me at Common Sense. We're all there. We're all Terps. So, wow. and then I wouldn't have without University of Maryland. If I hadn't gone to university, I wouldn't have had the amazing um, internship experiences that I had. I've got, to, I've got to meet some of the most powerful people in the world through um, interning, mm-hmm. through, through my Hill internship. I had an opportunity to work for a Senator um, when, I was, uh, when I was in college, but that wouldn't have happened
0: probably mm-hmm. if I didn't have gone, gone to University of Maryland. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you went to University of Maryland. What was your major? English. English. (laughs) I know English lit. Okay. I actually see that. I see that. Um, Then you went on to get an MBA.
1: Yeah. Much later, much later in my career, probably. uh, I got my MBA in 2019. So I started that journey. I started a journey about 2016, 2017, but I had a a considerable amount of work experience before before I started the MBA journey.
0: Yeah, talk to me about the work experience um, post bachelors, right, because I right. had so much going into it right that, that's right. Something, something I talk to a lot of individuals about the importance of gaining as much work experience as humanly possible before you even get into the formal adult working world, right? Right. Whenever possible, the high school internships, the high school volunteer opportunities, the exposure you get, um, simply raising your hand and saying, I'm interested in this or this and partnering with someone who can put you on that path. um, I think it's also important. So talk to me about now you've got all this experience and you have the degree, what do you do next and how do you, how did you, because again, my mind is still blown from our last conversation, develop such a robust career, not just in the government space, but also as a producer, right? In media, right? You've, you've done a lot. And I don't know if you realize, that, like, I hope you understand mm-hmm. that there's so much depth to your experience. Right. Talk to us about that, because I imagine there's a college student somewhere that's like that sounds like a lot, but I wouldn't know where to start. So where'd you start after school?
1: So, um, you know, while we were in college, Eugene, my business partner, Eugene Oba and I had already started um, not a company, but like a a media group um, on campus. And we were doing we were already doing production work for colleges, uh, the colleges on campus um as well as some outside you know organizations so we were already building that kind of experience and mm-hmm. just like it just like right after college we were like, let's make this official <laughs> I right, love it right And so mm-hmm. I mean I got my formal job I did work again work back with the Justice Department uh, doing like um, communicate his related work. It wasn't very challenging so part, I had a lot of time yeah. <laughs> to develop yeah. other skills so while you know, um, I mean I would get my work done in within four hours. I mean it's typical communications job in the government. It's not yeah. no disrespect. Let me not let me let <laughs> like me wow. Not, <laughs> let me it's easier let me than not, I thought it was. <laughs> no, let me not disrespect, you know, the real hardcore communications um folks uh, you know who are doing public affairs work, whatever. Um it's 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 just for me because I'm a quick learner and mm-hmm. I'm pretty efficient it didn't take me that long to do my work. So, um, so a lot of that time, I would find other things that work things to do, I would ask for a lot of work. So so I was developing learning, I would ask the the one, my boss, like, like, she would have me, you know, edit her stuff, I got to work, write policies, um, you know, and, and, um, you know, basically be involved with some of the communication strategy for um, some of the more legal, not, not on the legal side, but more of like, what's the strategy for, you know, some of their the new policies that were going to be implemented with, uh, within um, my particular uh, division. Mm-hmm. So that was a challenging, I mean, that was when I, cause I was, you know, bored, I'm be honest, I finished my work pretty, pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So, um, so because the work wasn't as rigorous, I had an opportunity. We had time to be able to develop the common sense entertainment. We had time to be able to like, I always believe in baptism by fire, to bit to, mm-hmm. to the sense that we made, we you know, we kept we just we found whatever we could and put documentary together, and, and it's kept producing, right? And so our very first film um, was featuring a band, and it was a really robust project. It was our first real big documentary project. Because prior to then, we did like a few little short videos, and then I was like, let's do something ambitious. Let's do a documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from there, we're just kind of learning. Like I'm learning how to be a better producer. Um, Eugene is learning how to be a better producer as well, being be on a management side and is managing a team and learning the technical stuff, technical things along the way and also continuing to, continuing to have the appetite to learn outside of the field. And so building is really like while I was working, like I said, my Clark Kent job was working for the government doing communication work. I'm um, Supergirl, Superman, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Outside by doing the, you know, lit, sometimes actually literally going from work and sh- going to, all the way to College Park. That's where we shot our first documentary and staying there till like midnight to shoot. Wow. And then, go, then having then having to get up um, at five, six or seven o'clock to get to work um, on time. So that just making that kind of sacrifice, you know, mm-hmm. was a, was a re- really big part of my ability to be able to juggle both kind of careers.
0: Wow. Wow. Um, So much I want to dive deeper into, but, but before I do that, right, we touched on something earlier and that's your current um, startup company, right? Yes. Um, Which when you told me about it, I thought, wow, like, that and 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 I talk often about mental health and finding the right therapy right. and I'm a huge proponent of therapy. Um talk to me a little bit about your startup um and and your why behind it too. Yeah,
1: so um so Zephyr Health is pretty much, you know, you know, I think all my my business like babies, but it's probably my if you know, you're not supposed to have a favorite child, it's probably my favorite child, <laughs> right? Um, because it, it's, it's, you know, the reason being, it, it aligns with, uh, and I was so funny, right? I was talking to you, I was, I was on a call with my friend and I was saying, you know, talking about how I'm, you know, pivoting careers. And it's, it's, it's a business that aligns with every aspect of who I am, my mm-hmm. faith, as well as, you know, my, my business instincts and uh, skills and habits the entrepreneur in me, as well as, you know, it's fulfilling and gratifying and, um, work. So getting back to the, the company itself. So it's called Zifa Health. And what we're trying to do at Zifa Health is to streamline the process of, of matching Muslims with qualified, culturally competent mental health providers. Mm-hmm. Um, and the why really comes from the fact that um, many of us have these different issues and they're t- typically in, in therapy um, in the mental health space. There's a sort of one size fit all situation, right? Where it's like, there's this idea that, you know, kind of treat everybody, people who have similar issues have similar, there's a similar way to, to you know, approach that. But what we found through my research, the importance of having culturally competent people, because there's certain things that as a Muslim, and as a black person that, you know, certain people from other ethnicities would not really necessarily understand and may look at those different, uh, may look at those different practices or rituals as, as something, something that may be problematic, but really it's just a, it's just a way of people processing things. I'll give a great example. for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A good example would be one of the things as Muslims that we do is it's called Zikr, which is basically, you know, how like um, you, you see Buddhist people with their beads. Mm-hmm. We have beads as well. So one thing that people do to calm themselves down, to prepare for something, you know, they'll start doing the beads and reciting different things, Allah Akba, a Allah Akbah, God is great, a stuff God forgive me, you know, these different things, subhanallah, All these different things are the way of remembering God. And then through mm-hmm. remembering God, finding calm, right? Is a means of finding calm in a situation that's very stressful. Mm-hmm. To an outside person, it may look like that person's talking to themselves, right? and it, and that is and that is part of the reason why yeah. we believe that we need culturally competent mental health cuz that potential talking to yourself can be could be in the wrong hands i'm going to be prescribing somebody some something mm-hmm. that really doesn't need to be medically su- surprised it's just a, it's just a practice of re- 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 you know so it's really tied to for for me it's really tried to limit um, Cases where people are being misdiagnosed and mistreated because of lack of a, a lack of cultural understanding. Mm-hmm. So, if we can limit that, and then also, you know, therapy is far there's a lot of data to, put, to to back this therapy is far more effective when there's a shared experience,
0: yeah,
1: right, and a shared cultural identity and identity experience because you want to be you want to see your you, you want somebody who understands who you are because not only will that, you know, um. Ensure a ensure that the, the quality will be you know will be respected and the quality of care will be great. But there's also there's a trust thing. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about a community, particularly the Muslim community, that doesn't really have a lot of trust in uh, Americans in general. People in general really have a trust in the healthcare system, but particularly um, you know um, Muslims and, and other marginalized people have a, a, a serious distrust of the healthcare system and mental health in the in in the country as well as around the world. So you're already dealing with somebody who's a little shaky and a little distrustful. You wanna alleviate the barriers by making it, by creating an environment where there is trust easily early on, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And even with that, I've talked to many Muslim therapists who even, even with that, there are some challenges as well. And so part of it is, so part of our solution is one, matching Muslims with the therapists that are qualified But the other part of our solution is making sure that therapists are matched with people that align with their particular needs and preferences, meaning there are going to be people who are going to show up to therapy, who are ready, who know what therapy is, ready Mm. for therapy. Mm. There are going to be people who are invested in the process, right? You know, um, the people who can pay for it, all sorts of things. Because one of the things that we found, you know, there's a 30 to 60% churn rate. Within mental health, Amazing. in terms of you know um, re- retaining clients, and mm-hmm. and it costs the industry as a whole. I know this because I had to do a pitch check. Shout out to Halcyon Sion, <laughs> <Halcyon> Incubator. <laughs> um, shout out to my fellows. Yeah, um, I know this because I had to do a pitch, so I know the numbers very well. One hundred sixty billion dollars. The industry as a whole loses one hundred sixty billion dollars wow. due to law, due to due to clients not showing up, um, and and. Not and you know, that that not being able to keep clients is, is, wow. is a costly, costly, um, not being matched with the right client is costly for their therapists. Because imagine, right, you're spending all this time developing your plan. The person shows up maybe for the first session and then they're like, I don't like this anymore. I'm not showing up for the next session. And that's that, right? You just, lost an opportunity cost you you the opportunity cost right there is like the the time that you spend dealing with that person you could have been serving somebody who's really ready who's really invested in it and has a longer you know a longer value customer value right so wow that's one of the reasons why we're really focused at Z for Health we're really focused on the pre-vetting the process making sure that the we're not only pre-vetting both we're we're pre-vetting both the client as well as the therapist before we match them mm-hmm. so that there is really that best quality that best fit so that nobody wastes their time
0: mhm mm-hmm. did you say 160 billion yeah wow it might be 150
1: billion my bad i always Still. mess up the numbers but it's Still. a lot that is a lot in lost revenue and lost revenue one, right. I think it's 150 it might actually think it's 150 my my um my fellows will probably laugh at me because like, during the during pitch, i kept messing messing up the numbers really <laughs> yeah yeah i kept saying 160 like i kept switching it during, during our pitch practices so they're probably laughing if they hear this they'll probably laugh at that i still mess it oh, up but i think gosh. it's 150 actually
0: but nonetheless somewhere, right somewhere between I mean, and 160
1: Yeah. Nonetheless, that's a lot of loss of annual revenue Mm -hmm. because of a a lack of compatibility.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's not enough to recognize that maybe therapy and and that level of support would be valuable in your life. You actually have to be ready to commit to the process Yes. Um, and able to commit to the process, right. Have the resources to do so. Exactly. Wow. Um, wow. And so specifically in the Muslim community and with you as a Muslim woman, right. And a black woman, Right. right. What are you seeing in your research as you work on Zifa health and, and really uh, develop it and grow it, which is a much needed platform. So I'm, I'm grateful for that, but talk to me about the challenges you see in that space as a woman um, and what that has looked like either finding therapy um, or, or even securing that and moving forward. What are the barriers to that as a black woman and Muslim woman that you've seen?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's supply, right? The the Mm. biggest issue within the mental health space, and it's not just Muslims, it's like the space in general is there are a lot of, there are lack, there's not enough. Um, the demand is so high, but there's not Mm. enough people to fulfill that, fulfill the demand, especially since COVID. Right.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: The need for therapy has blossomed, um, you know, since COVID. So Mm. that's one of the biggest issues is, 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 um, you know the, the supply bit, and then the other thing is is a lot of therapists that they, they they themselves are burnt out because capacity. Like I, they, they don't have they don't have the capacity to take on more clients.
0: Yeah, yeah, right.
1: And so, um, one of the things that I really really love is um, something that I'm looking to to, to maybe um, I'm looking at as well is what are some other resources to get people through a, a crisis before you know if they can't afford therapy, what can we do to get them at least calm for that moment? Mm. Right. If they're going through a crisis. So that's one of the things I'm looking at. I'm currently, um, you know, training and learning how to do all that stuff. Um, I'll reveal in, in due time what that looks like, Okay. Um, okay. But, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm being trained in, in, in that work. Um, and so, Learning about, I think that's one one of the ways to not, say, not, not really fix the supply problem. You can't you fix the supply problem, you need to produce more therapists and psychologists, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I think having some sort of um, media, not media, um, some sort of supplementary support is also really helpful. Yeah. So I really have a, a lot of respect and love for like crisis text line, all these crisis hotlines. Mm-hmm. Those are so useful and so important. Because even and I think you know we could the Muslim community could totally benefit from that as well, um, and so that's something I'm actually actually looking at looking into as well. Because that was initial prompt was was the crisis. Like, how do we? What do you do when a Muslim person's in crisis? Because the other thing, the other element too, is that I read the stat recently, and like the Washington Post, I think posted it. I think it was like one in five um, police deaths or deaths by. Um, I guess fatalities as it relates to confrontation with the police are due to people with having mental mental illnesses. Yeah. So, and part of the problem with that is that when you call nine one one and you have a mental health crisis, Mm -hmm. you're not getting a doctor, a psychiatrist or therapist, you're getting a cop. So if you're already traumatized and then you're going to be further traumatized being handcuffed. And so, um, that is something that, um, I think why these crisis hotlines are so important because you know instead of calling 911, you have somebody who's there to calm you down and get you through that particular moment as you kind of gather as you and your family members try to gather you and, and be able to take, some, take a moment to, to die, you know, to assess your, your, your um, options here. Mm-hmm. And it, particularly people who are going through, who are having suicide ideation, these crisis hotlines hot are so important because you know it's it's talking, we we're talking about saving a life, yeah, right. And um, again, shout out to Crisis Text Line, I think they're doing fantastic work. And mm-hmm. um, what they're in it, their whole process and whole philosophy is really, really
0: wonderful. Um, yes, what they are doing is wonderful, and I think what you are doing is wonderful as well. You mentioned Halcyon. And I want to, for a moment, talk about this journey you're on with this startup, um, because I think in my head, it takes a village. You talked about your fellows, right? right? Talk to me about what mentorship has meant to you along the way, um, how you've benefited from it. Um, and for someone out there, maybe who's considering the entrepreneurial route, um, and they want mentorship, right? Like, what do you recommend and what's been your experience yeah. from that perspective? So
1: I, I've, I've had some experience. So I've, I've done a few um, incubator programs uh, through universities and stuff like that. And universities are good in terms of getting, you know, the basic academic and educational foundation. But I for, for me, of all of the incubator programs, I, for, for me, Halcyon has been the most beneficial to me mm-hmm. um, because one, what I really love about Halcyon is the community. Right. They're people like from the top, from the CEO to the, the program managers, and the coordinators, they all want you to win. Mm-hmm. And literally <laughs> last on Wednesday, I had a meeting with somebody from one of the house staffers. They met with me and we put together, helped me put together like a, almost like a communication event strategy, event planning strategy. Like that's the type of work. And I graduated, so-called graduated. Yeah. In January. So having that constant and continuous support beyond your program is really useful. And then within the program, having these really powerful mentors like Helen, uh, shout out Helen, um, who's phenomenal, like just to have somebody to bounce ideas off of and having somebody with experience and strategic um, execution, Mm-hmm. abilities, if you want to call it, like, I'm losing my English today. No, you're <laughs> not losing again, it. <laughs> what I'm trying to say, right. Like somebody with that level of experience is it's profound and powerful. Like I've been able to connect with people that I need to help me build my business through my connections with my mentors. Like mm-hmm. some the mentors that some of the mentors that, that house can have are phenomenal truly. And they really, really helpful. And again, for me, it's like, it's not enough to be provide educational resources and programming. I have to feel like you genuinely want me to win mm-hmm. You genuinely care about this business. And you get that from the beginning that, like when you step there, and it's not just like some staffers, it's also the, it's also the other fellows and, you know, previous co- cohorts will, you know, I've, I've connected with previous co- cohorts as well. Um, and um, you know, that has been a really helpful resource as well. So like it, it's, a, it truly is a community of, of, like-minded people and that has been really really helpful and yeah. throughout my um, entrepreneurship journey especially with this business mm-hmm. because it's so hard.
0: Mm-hmm. How did you find your incubator programs? I know you said you've been through a couple of them so someone else doesn't know where to start. How do you find it?
1: Um, I mean usually you, it depends if you want to go through the university route like usually any a lot of the universities that have an entrepreneurship program they have some sort of incubator. University of Maryland has one they have a mm-hmm. really great one. Uh, American university has one, you know, Georgetown, all of the big, kind of big universities that have, um, MIT, Harvard, all, all of them have incubator programs. Sometimes, uh, your local government will have one. Okay. Um, but Halcyon, if you go to Halcyon, you know, just Google Halcyon, apply. Um, they Love have it. several different programs, um, that you can apply for. Um, really just for me was just doing a Google search incubator tech incubator and boom, uh, finding kind of what works with your style and what 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 you want to do, and that are kind of aligned with um, your values as well. Because part of mm. part of of any type of mentorship or any type of uh, programming, you want to make sure that you know they're going to be there for you. So in mm. in a way, as much as you're interviewing for them, they're interviewing for you,
0: right? Absolutely, like I, you got to impress me too. <laughs> Absolutely, know? it's got to be a good fit both ways. Absolutely, yeah. Wow. You you have shared so much. Um, but I want to talk about your other baby. And I know that was your favorite, but I want to talk about <laughs> common common yeah. entertainment because <laughs> sure. um I watched an episode. What was that? What did I watch? Oh my gosh. Um, with the gentleman who was out Oh, eating- Eugene, my business partner. Yes? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Eugene Ova.
1: Okay, I call him I call- Call
0: him Blackheart
1: Clark Kent, aka Walter Cronkite. Him, he sounds
0: like Walter Cronkite. It was so awesome, and I I happen to be a foodie, so this episode was right up my alley. So, talk to us about how common sense entertainment has grown, and and I know it started back in school, right, with you and your business partner but you've done so much right with it to help develop it. What's the key to that? What's the key to a successful business like that? Because I imagine, especially in the media space, in production, it's tough from the outside looking in. um, What's the key to your success? Because from my vantage point, I was like, oh, this is ready for the big screen. Like I want more people to see this. Right how do you make it work well one
1: i'm a religious person so fairly religious person, faith you know um this this doing the work and putting my hands in god's and god's um let god handle handling the rest so that's one so there's a spiritual side of that Mm -hmm. headed from a more practical side having the right team i have the best business partner in the world and eugene oba he's 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 like you know he's we we complement each other our our skill set as well as our personalities i'm a bit of a hothead not going to lie i'm very passionate really not hot let me not say hothead i'm very passionate let me just say that <laughs> like i'm very like the thing about me when it, when you're un, when you're under my team i'm very protective okay. like if you are disrespectful to my 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 team members i'm a different person mm. i'm a little bit ruthless and he's the guy that has to calm things down, sweet talking. Me, I'm ready to. I'm in kill mode. Like, I'm to be honest with you. Like, I'm very. I'm like a mama bear. Like, I'm a mama grizzly bear with my team. With my yeah. Team. And then we've had some instances where, you know, people, a client, has been very disrespectful to one of my. And I had to, you know, be professional, but also be ruthless a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, and so. He's not like that. He doesn't, he, not saying he doesn't have a ruthless streak to him. He is, he's efficient and he's great at what he does, but he's, he's nice. He's a nice guy. You know, he's a really nice guy, right? You know, so we, we balance each other out. And so mm-hmm. having him, you know, me being kind of a business and strategy person, um, business the developed strategy side of things and him being the, you know, technical person, technical brain um you know these these productions that you see that's that's Eugene managing and edit helping either editing them or leading the or directing the editing efforts Mm -hmm. this is that's you know and one thing about Eugene because we have such great chemistry I'll give you an example like I all I have to do with Eugene is okay this is my idea give him some visual references and he gets he's he gets it like mm. that's, that's what happened with our, our, um, one of our documentaries that we did. I literally said, I want this to look like X, Y, Z. I want it to feel like this visually look like this. And he, he nailed it. He and the team nailed it. So I have people like Raheem and I have people like Eugene I have Raheem, who's amazing. Um, he's our, he's our CMO, our, our chief marketing person, mm-hmm. challenging. He's been with us from, from the beginning, challenging, um, uh, me, challenging, the company um, providing great marketing strategy as well as great editorial strategy as well, and just, he just has an instinct for um, news and an instinct for, for 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 marketing. Really, he's just he's just, and he's also just a really smart guy. Yeah. Um, so just having uh, my manage core managing and having like great partners that we've worked with that we collaborate on to produce these, these um, shows and these documentaries. So being able to, I think my big, biggest gift is talent ID. I know I know what I need in a person. And I have, you know, I always, my, my management style is always, I say it's laissez-faire. Like if, I, if I've done the work to re- research you and interview you, and I've looked at your work and all that stuff, just show up. I'm not gonna, I expect you to do your work. I'm not gonna micromanage. I don't, I don't do mm-hmm. Like That's mm-hmm. not my thing. And so be, for me, being able to identify talent and that talent, just in terms of skill, but also fit, cultural fit, is super, super important. That's something that I've been very good at, I think. And so um, we have a fantastic team. And that's really the really the heart of our success. And of course, having strategy and a vision and being able to execute and having high standards really, really helps as well. But really, for me, teamwork makes the
0: dream work. That's so corny. <laughs> I know. But true. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. But, but corny, but, it's true. but true. Like... That that is it. Um, picking the right team and everything else will fall into place, right? If you choose the Absolutely. right, the right talent on the front Absolutely. end. Um so you referenced documentaries and there's one in particular that I'm fascinated uh-huh. by. Um, specifically Radio Rahim. Talk to oh, us okay. about <laughs> Okay. I know you had many, but but talk yeah. to us for a minute, because I love your stories about the vision for that right sort of why you felt the need to tell the story
1: yeah
0: um, and then how you brought it to life the execution piece I love it but
1: yeah so I prior to um doing well I guess while we were developing media house initially common sense was called a media house it was a it was a it was a media club at University of Maryland so while I was doing that I was also the executive producer at a radio of a radio show called. Let's just
0: slide (laughs) that in, shall we? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so,
1: and so, and blessings. Like I I got to see, you know, I got to see like, I mean, I got to see Ari Lennox before she blew up. I got to see so many young DMV talent and work with them and interview them. Or that's again in the past, but one of the people that I interviewed was radio Raheem, And I thought he was so interesting. I was like, wow, you're like, I was like, dude, you're like a throwback, to, you're a hip hop throwback. Yes. You you produce, you beatbox, you DJ, you do graffiti, you rap, you're socially conscious, like what? I, I just, for me, the, the idea of a Radio Raheem uh, was just a, such a fascinating thing. And I was like, and he just began, you know, we had featured him on a couple of things. I think our first documentary, and we're like, we gotta, and Eugene in particular was such a fan. This mm-hmm. is the news guy in him. He's a, e- Eugene's got a, you know, a new, is a news guy. He's, he you got a degree at Maryland, being a journalism major. He works for different news organizations um, and he continues to work with them. So mm-hmm. he, the news guy, he saw, he heard, you know he heard the potential and the talent there too as well. So, um, so, you know, I was fascinated with the idea of Brady Rahim and his story and then Eugene was like, oh, the, the talent. He saw the story. And so when I said to you early on, like, um, you know, all I have to say to Eugene is like kind of give visual cues. I said to Eugene, I said, if we're going to do a Radio Raheem documentary, this is what I, I want. I want the feel to be like Protect Your Neck by Wu-Tang Clan meets 99 Problems by Jay-Z. Okay. Like, that's a look and feel. I was like, that's a, that's a look and feel. If so I gave him those videos, I gave him those videos. Like, that's the look and feel I want. Yeah. For this documentary, because it's confrontational, um, it's he's in your face. He's, he's actually Ray Rahim is actually a really really nice guy, but you I know he's, he's 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 you know he's an anti you know and author- he's anti authoritarian type of dude. He's really really uh, political, mm-hmm. and you know I thought, wow, let's do this, and it was fun. You know, it was fun. Yeah. It was fun to unpack his story and really like celebrate him.
0: Mm-hmm. I love it. I, talk to us about the other documentaries because I know you've you've done multiple. Um, what's your favorite?
1: Um, w- w- one. If we're you about could to say do. a favorite, one, one <laughs> we're about to do actually is this the is, concept of is a nerd is is we you know one that's in store is probably might might be my favorite. But we're, as of right now, it'll probably be Radio Raheem. But just for me, uh, visually, I think we killed the visuals um, mm-hmm. in terms of how I wanted to feel. I wanted people to get a get a feel of of boom bap hip-hop like that was the what I wanted and it was it is also the one we won a, a few awards for so of course yes. as a vicious person <laughs> I love winning awards and I said mm-hmm. I told my team this year like we're doing god willing we'll be working on another documentary and also damn that's good of course of course uh, I want I said folks we're we're going for the big awards like let's Webbies and we're gonna be at God willing, you know, indie spirit festival, all of that. We're going for those. Wow. So let's 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 aim for that. So let's make some content that's gonna really shake up the world. So mm-hmm. um yeah, Radar Rahim is probably my favorite.
0: I love it. So I'm thinking about maybe the college student um out there who is multi-passionate, right? Um as you are and isn't quite sure where to start, how to organize these ideas. And, and then as they begin to execute, how to keep track of all the things that go along with maybe a media business, or maybe, um, you know, a startup, right? Maybe they're going into the tech space. Like I'm I'm putting myself in the shoes of someone who says, I want to do all these things and I think I could do all of them well. Where do I start, right? What's what's my first step? Do I start talking to people? Do I start researching? Do I jot, you know, write down this, this elaborate plan? And what do you suggest they do first? Maybe top, top two or three things for them to think through before they take any other action, do these three things first. Because you're doing so it well. So I think- I- <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying <laughs> um,
1: I, I would say um, I always tell my uh, people that I mentor uh, I always say you should do a SWOT analysis of yourself right and the people who are not familiar with the SWOT analysis this is the thing that you learn in business school and, and business mm-hmm. in general strengths strengths threats opportunities and weakness or strengths weaknesses opportunities and threats yep. SWOT and so first and foremost do a SWOT analysis of yourself so you can really figure out okay What what am I good at? You know what are some weaknesses? What are some areas that I need to improve on? And from there, kind of synthesize what is okay. People with these types of characteristics, like what do they typically go into? Mm. Like what are some fields or some strategies? Or if if you if you don't know what you want to do, if you do know what you want to do, okay. So how do these how do these strengths and weaknesses and opportunities? How how does that how does it how can you leverage that in a particular career path what does that look like how did that how does that translate mm-hmm. and then from there i would recommend finding people who um who do that who are in that particular business either as business partners so if I'm in case for me for comics entertainment like eugene being a, like yeah. being a production person like um uh was was for me being able to find somebody you know whether it be uh a productions, a, a so-called, they call it, you know, in a business where the entrepreneurship world, they call it technical founder, right? Mm-hmm. If you're building a business. So somebody, if you're not the technical founder, finding a technical founder, mm-hmm. right? Or finding um, or deciding whether you want to develop that, um, that side of your, your um, portfolio, so to speak. Um, and then looking into, I really believe, I'm a strong believer in, and this may be the business school kid in me coming out, I'm a strong believer in understanding the market, right? Mm. What's the market need, right? Really doing that that analysis. What are the legal barriers to getting in this particular industry? What mm. is the, you know, knowing your numbers, I, I, I put out some numbers, like knowing your numbers, right? Um, you know, for example, in mental health, $527 billion industry by 2030. That's how much that industry is gonna be worth by 2030, God willing, right? Being right. able to see, being able to see those numbers. So understanding the market, understanding, you know, they teach us in school Porter's five Forces, like that framework is super, super helpful, right? Understanding, you know, what are the substitutes in that particular industry? What are the, the, the competitors, your, AKA okay, your rivals? Um, you know, what are, what does the supply look like? What, you know, all these different areas, like you have to understand the business of mm-hmm. the business before you get into business
0: mm. and
1: then then I would say look into mentorship um, you know I would look into you know different incubator programs look to, to really understand to, to get some help in kind of putting that business together wow. but I believe in being prepared yeah. that's the most important thing you 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 yourself have to be you have to be honest with yourself and say, Am I ready to do the business? And are my weaknesses detrimental to the business, potentially detrimental to the business, right? Can my weaknesses be supplemented by either having a technical founder or learning? Or do I have the time and capacity to learn the, whatever deficiencies I may, to, to be able to handle that, take care of that, compensate for those deficiencies? Or I don't want to call them deficiencies, but like blind spots. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, what, what am I good at? Yeah. Like I recognized early on that I can sell. I say, okay, that's a really good, that's a really good trait to have as an entrepreneur. Yeah. And I have, I was really good at strategy. Um, strategy is what I'm really, really good at. It's really figuring out, you know, really doing that market analysis is something. It was my favorite thing in school as well. <laughs> Strategic thinking was my favorite course in, in, in my MBA program. Love it. Um, and so, yeah. Um, knowing what your strengths are yeah and being and then part of it too is also and this is something as a lifelong entrepreneur is, is 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 continuing to uh not settle for your so-called expertise in that particular field I still read brand branding and strategy books mm. and Harvard business cases and I still listen to and watch um you know um different people so different Thought leaders in the space. I still listen to podcasts in that you know, in particular space. You know, for example, I mentioned early on, like looking at people, finding people who you want to be like, or who you want to emulate. Because mm-hmm. you know, I believe in like, there's no point point in reinventing the wheel. <laughs> like, yeah. pretty right? much, don't waste your time. Yep. Um, so finding people that you you know, either reaching out to them as maybe being mentors or just following them on Instagram. Like, there's a couple people that I follow on Instagram that I'm like, from a brand strategy perspective, that I really, really admire and. Um, love and, and, and really read a lot of their work. Mm -hmm. So doing these different things, but again, I, I believe the best thing you can do for a, whether it be a new job or pursuing an entrepreneurial venture, being prepared and being honest with yourself and what you can do and what your capacity
0: Mm -hmm. is. Learning the business of the business. Like, Yeah. yeah, I like that because it's not all fun and games it's not all glitz and glam yeah you have to know the numbers right like I and do the research I love you you shared so much oh my gosh I can't wait to write these show notes um (laughs) and never do I say that believe me when I say never um so one book you'd recommend oh there's a lot oh okay then then give us three give us three there's a lot of good business books Mm -hmm. um Shout out to
1: Co. School of Business for giving me a really good education because I, I like a lot of the books that they recommended. Mm-hmm. Um, Branding Branding Against a Machine okay, is a really good book. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say um, a new book that I'm going to look into. Uh, I read a little bit about it, but it's um, Marketing Strategy for the Little, the little Guy. Ooh. So basically, yes, yeah, basically marketing as like, I guess, Making marketing for like small businesses and stuff. I think that's useful. Mm-hmm. Um, Running Lean by Ash Mora. Ooh, I've heard um, of. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, Smarter Execution is, a, is another one. Um, I can't remember who wrote that one, but Smarter Execution. If I was in my room, I would point to it. <laughs> but, um, and then I would say, um, I really, it's, not, it's not a book. But I read this in my IT management class in, in business school. Mm-hmm. It's called "Strategy as Ecology."
0: Okay, it's a Harvard
1: it, it's a Harvard Business um, article or case okay. study, I think it was. Um, I really recommend it because it, it it conceptualizes business as more than just a one on one transaction, mm. but more of like thinking about your business as part of a larger ecosystem and how do you, how do you manage the different stakeholders? This is really a really, I, I look, I think I, I refer to it or I look at that article at least once a month or so. Wow. This, because I just like, I like the ideas in it, you know? Right, Um, right. One of the things about me is that even though I was an English major in college, I didn't really care for the, the literature too much i like my favorite courses in english were critical theory i know okay. that
0: sounds weird your face is, it? is i no, forgot it you like, could see my okay. face it sounded weird
1: <laughs> um so like you know it, 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 in um you know when you're an english major you're reading like shakespeare and all that mm-hmm. stuff but also part of being a part of the part of the discipline of an english major is they have like at least at maryland they had critical theory so i was actually more interested in Critical theory than I was actually interested in the novels that I was reading. Yeah, wow. So the so 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 me having read a theory book, loving theory, reading this strategy as ecology theory was like right up my alley. Like I'm into that type of stuff. I love theory.
0: Mm -hmm. So I love it. Favorite podcast, and then I'm done. Ooh,
1: favorite podcast. Um. I love the knowledge project. It's one of my favorites. It's um, Shane Parrish mm-hmm. runs it. Um, I'm also into a bunch of sports podcasts. I love Wrighty's house. I'm a big Arsenal fan. You can't see it. Well, you yeah, I can't see it. I'm a, I, I have a, if you follow me on Instagram, you guys already know, or, or um, you all, rather not guys, you folks will already know that I'm a big massive arsenal fan you see it on my twitter you see it on my instagram
0: everywhere um
1: so, but right everywhere i'm big 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 in it i today i wore my, my arsenal scar to troll people i'm a big troll i'm gonna be honest as well big troll <laughs> big troll that i was beating somebody i was beating somebody who's a, a rival fan i really wanted just to troll them
0: wow so, so yeah really my benti
1: really i'm a troll no sports Especially now that Arsenal's good, I it's I have to bring it up. I have to do it. <laughs> I'm obligated to do it. I've dealt I've dealt with so much pain for the last 20 years as an Arsenal fan. I have earned the right to so troll funny. back, ruthlessly troll so other funny. people. So it is what it is.
0: Yes, it is. <laughs> um thank you for today. Yeah. This no, thank has you. been awesome. I mean I knew it would be just based on our last conversation, but this, like, you've shared so much um, and I can't wait to capture all of it um, in the show notes and share the resources because there's a lot of value here for- our communities. Um, and I'm excited to, to provide the platform to share it. So thank you for your time today. Let me ask you this. You mentioned your social handles. How can we find you? How can we support you? How can we find Zifa Health and support as well?
1: Okay. So Zifa Health is still is still a work in progress. So mm-hmm. um, but in terms of Comments Entertainment, you can follow us at um, Comments Sense, I think underscore ENT. Okay. That's a Twitter Twitter handle. You can just look for Common Sense Entertainment, and you see a, like a black um, bulb. That's us. <laughs> Perfect. Black and white bulb, light light bulb. You'll see that's us. We're mm-hmm. on YouTube. We're on Vimeo. We're on Instagram. Um, we also have a show called Fit to Speak, which is a news program. Definitely, probably our one of my one of our favorite and one of our best shows is we're really trying to change the, the news programming landscape mm-hmm. by providing people really good. Factually um, accurate news and un-, un you know unbiased news. Um, so uh, I would say that CSC TV is another one. So yeah, this YouTube and if you want to follow me and like my, my hear my personal thoughts on stuff, uh, <laughs> you can find me at Twitter uh, on Twitter. It's at Mubinti six, mm-hmm. and uh, you can also find me. At, am I on Instagram? Yeah, I am. But at, you know I'm mostly on Twitter. mostly on Twitter, mostly on Twitter Twitter, trolling. There's a lot of trolling going on. (laughs) I mean, it's it's like my Twitter feed is a little bit of trolling. Not a lot of trolling. I would say like maybe 60% trolling, but then occasionally I'll drop some wisdom. I'll be honest with you. Occasionally I'll drop a smart smart gem here and there um, or something introspective there.
0: I love it. But if you want to
1: follow me on a more serious, on a more serious professional level, you can always always find me on LinkedIn. I am pretty active there as well.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This has been amazing and I appreciate you. And I know the community does as well.
1: Oh, thank you. This has been a fantastic opportunity. Thank you again, Tony, for connecting us. (laughs) Um, and, uh, you know, this has been a fantastic conversation. I really enjoy talking to you and, you know, having somebody else pick my brain for once. It's been, it's been fantastic. And I, uh, welcome the opportunity to, to, um, you know, share wisdom. I like doing this anyway. So this is a wonderful, um, opportunity for me.
0: Awesome. Talk to you soon. Yes. Have a good one. You too. If you're hearing this message, you have listened to the entire episode. And for that, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please don't forget to subscribe. Leave us a review and check out our website at www.thekeystotheoffice.com. We look forward to connecting with you in a future episode. Until then, go be amazing.